Hello and welcome to Filibustering Museology, a podcast series where we discuss what museum specialists do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, lead faculty for the history programs at Southern New Hampshire University's College of Online and Continuing Education. Joining me today from near the Windy City is Susie Chung, an adjunct instructor and team lead at Southern New Hampshire University. Susie and I are talking today with Dr. Bruno Brulan Suarez, a professor of museology at the Universidade Federal do Estado do Rio de Janeiro and the vice president of the International Committee for Museology, also known as ICOFOM. Today we're going to discuss Bruno's background and his work in experimental museology, which sounds like some sort of dark magic, but in reality could make museums better around the world. What is your name and what do you do? Uh, my name is Bruno Brulon Soares and I'm a professor of museology at Federal University of the State of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, UniRio. I teach museology in the undergraduate course. Brazil is actually one of the only countries in the world where we have a specific undergraduate course in museology and it's a pretty old one, so we have a, a historical background. It dates back from the 1930s. And now we also have the master and the PhD courses in the same university where I also teach museology. What is your academic and professional background? Um, I'm a museologist with a degree in history and a PhD in anthropology. Uh, it's a very interdisciplinary background. Uh, what can be good to work in museums and with museology? Over the years, I have dedicated myself to academic life and I ended up working in a university, but it was not planned. In the beginning of my career, I wanted to work in museums, but then it changed over time. What are your research and teaching interests? Well, my research interests change with time, uh, but right now I'm coordinator of a research laboratory in experimental museology. So my work is mainly to analyze experimental practices in museums and with cultural heritage, such as indigenous museums, community museums, and other experimental forms of museums that defy the established forms and models of museology in my country. Uh, some of them are called social museums or museums of favelas, which are museums based on community, poor communities and peripheral narrative to create new discourses over heritage. So this is my main interest right now. So that means you are probably in a perfect position to talk about the redefinition of the museum for the 21st century. That's the topic of the symposium that we're doing in September. How do you see museums changing in the 21st century? It sounds like you, I mean, you've got a lot of work in all these different areas with social museums and all of that, but what, what do you see as going to be the long-term changes in the museum field going forward? Well, uh, this is a, a very big question. I, I, we see a lot of changes, but it's uh, last year we had a lot of thinking about this because of the ICOFON symposiums on this topic as the one that is going to happen in the USA this year. 
And my overview is just that museums are going from very established models to more experimental forms. And uh, it's not very easy to define experimental forms because they are constantly changing and they are based in changes that we see in society. They are based in identity claims for specific cultural rights and they are based on political scenarios also, which is the case in Brazil. We see great transformation in the museum field due to the political scenery. So this is a very uh, wide question. Of course, I can talk about that a lot. And in my research group, we are trying to actually not look for a definition, but to understand the changes and to point out how how challenging it is for ICOM, for example, to have one single definition. We actually contest this uh, universal perspective that wants to establish one single definition for such a diverse practice uh, under the label of museums. So we are actually trying to deconstruct this idea of one universal truth about museums, uh, to look at museums in the, in the post-colonial world and to understand their geopolitical uh, affiliations and their geopolitical centers and who is trying to determine what to whom, which is a very important thing in our uh, research because we deal with the construction of authority in museums, which is a, a very important thing in the contemporary world. I think challenging the museum authority, which includes the authority of the state, the authority of politicians, and even the authority of uh, specialists uh, by the communities uh, on practices is what, for me, is a big challenge that we are going to have as, as studies, as, as, as analysts of the museums, we are going to be having to deal with in the, in the very short future, actually, right now. What do you see as the technological changes that you see coming up? Because I imagine that if you're looking at experimental forms of museums, we've got the old brick and mortar building type museums, but there's also been kind of a lot of talk lately about virtual museums uh, since everyone has, not maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have smartphones now that are able to access uh, stuff online. So do you think there's going to be a dramatic shift towards vir virtual type museums or do you think we're gonna be sticking with uh, the old style buildings, but just maybe in a different form? This is, this is a very good question because in, in Brazil, for instance, these experimental museums, because they are sometimes contradicting the very uh, forms of the state to institutionalize museums, generally these museums don't have a building or a material base because, of course, they don't receive finance uh, uh, funds from the government. And the local governments sometimes uh, don't even recognize these museums. So the virtual form, the virtual expressions, the expressions of museums in the internet, and even the use of the internet as a construction of a space of resistance and to give visibility to these practices is a very potent and real thing that is happening right now in Brazil in general. Was this a part of the workshop result that came about from the Rio de Janeiro finding the Museum of the 21st Century Symposium? 
Yeah, the symposium was a very important uh, moment for us here because we focused on the experiences in Latin America, that this was uh, our sub-theme. Sub but of course, Latin America is a very big uh, and diverse region of the world. So, of course, most of the experiences we approached were from Rio de Janeiro and Brazil. And this was, of course, one of the big topics for this symposium, the political character and the experimental character of the new museums that are being created and that sometimes even as theorists, we don't have uh, the tools to define them. We have to understand from the practice, and it's this is why it's challenging from the point of view of a universal theory of museology or a universal definition of the museum. So in, in a great part, this symposium helped us to uh, discuss these important points regarding our reality specifically, because in the case of Brazil, uh, I think I'm going to approach that in my keynote speech in September, but we have a very specific scenario because we have a great diversity of museums, as in other parts of the world as well, but we here have assimilated and integrated the ICOM definition, the, the, the actual text of the ICOM definition in our uh, national law. So actually to be a museum and to be recognized as a museum in Brazil, officially you have to obey and you have to be to, to suit that definition. That That is a definition that was created internationally, that was created with, of course, uh, a normative sense and, and a as a prescription for, for the practices. And this is a very big challenge to understand the diversity of our museums and what is actually recognized as a museum and what is not. Very interesting. I just wanted to ask you, in connection with the symposia and for our students to understand what your role is with the International Council of Museums as a part of professional associations. Many of our students are members of professional associations, but we want to hear a little bit about how you got involved with um, the International Committee for Museology and the International Council of Museums, of course, and how you became vice president and your role a part of this volunteer uh, community. I, when I started my master's degree in museology in the same university where I am today, I was a student of Professor Teresa Scheiner, who, who is someone who has been president of ICOFOM, uh, in the end of the 90s, and who he who was currently by the time vice president of ICOM, and she had a long trajectory in this institution, and of course I got to know first ICOFOM publications and ICOFOM theory, the theory produced by the members of this International Committee for Museology, because I was studying museology under this the supervision of this professor. So this was my first contact with ICOFOM. And in 2006, ICOFOM had a joint meeting in Argentina. It was a joint meeting between ICOFOM and the Subcommittee for Latin America and the Caribbean, ICOFOM Lab. And, and I had the chance to participate in, in Cordoba in this event. And that's where 
uh, I met most of the people from ICOFOM and I got to know more closely the discussions that were being held. And since then, I was engaged in contributing. I, I, I didn't have the intention at first to actually be a part of the board and, and, and actually participate in the management, if you can call that way, of this committee. But I, I was very interested in the theoretical discussions relating to themes on museology and the museum field. So I started contributing with texts and uh, so at some point my texts were being read, which was a very good surprise for me because the people I admired were reading me and we, we were able to exchange ideas in, in the different symposiums. And then I went to my second symposium in Vienna. I received an ICOM grant to be in Vienna for uh, the general conference of 2007, which is where I met you, Susie, for the first time. Yeah. And it was actually a very special meeting uh, for me. It was my first contact with the general conference. And I, of course, discovered a completely new world of professional association of people from different parts of the world. And I think this is what, what kept me in ICOFOM and ICOM, the opportunity to meet different perspectives, different professional perspectives in the museum field, and to get to know different experiences that we cannot even imagine, because the museum field is actually a very practical field. and. We cannot get to know the, 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 what is happening throughout the world only by reading the texts, because the texts are, when, once a text is published, it's already outdated, because the practice, the museum practices are constantly evolving. So ICOM and ICOFOM specifically is a, are, are great, great platform for us to get to know the experiences while they are happening and through the different professional engagements uh, that we can see throughout the world. And, and for Latin America, the ICOFOM LAM has the same potential because uh, it's a subcommittee that involved that involves today even different kind of professionals from museums, some specialists, but mostly museum professionals from different parts of this enormous and diverse region. So yeah, diversity, to be in contact with this diversity is the main uh, thing that I that I look for in ICOM and ICOFOM until this day. And speaking of today, today is Rio de Janeiro's holiday. This is interesting. It's, it's, it's a very cultural day today because it's a local holiday. It's Rio de Janeiro's day but it's also uh, the day of the patronos of the city. I don't know if you can call that, but it's the saint, Saint George, who is an African saint who has been assimilated in the different um, religions in Brazil. It's a very syncretic holiday. Initially, it was not celebrated, but it's, it's, it's actually a recent, it has a few years ago, it's been actually celebrated by the city of Rio de Janeiro because it's a, a very, popular saints, especially in the African, uh, African Brazilian community. And this holiday actually means uh, recognition of this part of our national and local culture. And some museums are celebrating as well today? Yeah, uh, some, I, I believe some museums are, but the national museums don't really pay attention to, to the African 
culture, unfortunately. And we have right now in Brazil a very big discussion happening about the creation of a specific museum dedicated to the African culture and heritage. It's a very polemical discussion right now because it involves different social movements and different uh, perspectives over how the history of the African community should be told. And so the, we are currently dealing with this. I'm not sure how it's going to end up, but the idea is to have in the future a specific museum to discuss this particular aspect of our culture. That is interesting. When I was working on my PhD, one of my fields was on Latin America, and I remember reading a lot about Brazil and the you know, the old Gilberto Freire racial democracy angle and all of that. So yeah, I was curious how Brazilian museums especially handle things like racial racial diversity and all of that. It's interesting that there is controversy over the establishment of an African museum. How, how does race play out in the museums in Brazil? Well, it's a very sensible topic because uh, race is not very much uh, a topic of our exhibitions. However, it is a great subject uh, regarding the social organization, especially in Rio de Janeiro. However, uh, we have the representation of African culture in museums, which is, uh, in my opinion, uh, a very bad representation. Generally, for example, in national the national major museums, even in, in my city, they deal with the story, the history of slavery only, and mostly because the objects they have in their collections are related to slavery and sometimes, for example, uh, instruments of torture and things like that. And this is why there is a very big discussion right now, because the museums are used to only present African culture through this uh, perspective, and they don't, for example, recognize the richness of African religions in that that are that is very present in in our city, especially, but in the whole country, and the African culture in general, the music, uh, the intangible heritage, and even the material heritage, and the representation of Africans in Brazilian art, which is uh, very present. But these are not the aspects that are being. Uh, represented by museums in general. So the great discussion right now regarding this supposedly new museum is the idea that was first uh, proposed was to create a museum of slavery and freedom. That, that was how it was going to be called, the Museum of Slavery and Freedom. And so the African social movements uh, have manifested uh, a great dissatisfaction with this proposal and now we have several movements against it and also some new perspectives for this museum. At this point we don't know exactly what's going to be called but we know that this name is not going to be used. It has been rejected but it's still it's it's still up to discussion. Yeah, it's interesting what you're what you're saying with the um, the racial aspect to museums in Brazil because that does coincide with what I've what I was learning about in my uh, graduate program. So it's interesting yeah, to see that I that's still imagine. happening. I can imagine, yeah, because Latin in, in in Latin America in general, this is an issue. Oh, it's an issue here as well. Yeah, yeah, I oh, can yeah. imagine. Yeah, it's an, it's an issue everywhere. It's yeah. the 
issue that I've always heard was interesting in Brazil is that there was, like I said, there was kind of the myth, so to speak, of racial democracy in Brazil, which tended yeah. to downplay differences in race as a way to kind of paper over the tragedy of the past, I suppose. But yeah. obviously, that's an exaggeration. And it's it's interesting to hear that that actually is playing out on the ground that way. Yeah, this is actually a great myth, because uh, in Brazil, the idea that sometimes racism was something in the past and that we have actually evolved from it, it's not really true. It's just became something that people don't talk about, but it's constantly present in our society. I think it's different from how the USA have dealt with racism. I think it comes up in new forms. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's almost hidden, but yeah. shown in different forms. I think we're dealing with our own version of that here now, yeah, because for a long time, I think in, in the United States, we tended to think that race was a problem that was solved back with Martin Luther King, back in the civil rights era. But the last 10 years with the election of Barack Obama as president, and then Trump, uh, Donald Trump getting elected in 2016, these things have kind of torn open the racial issue that we in the United States thought we had dealt with before, but it is suddenly an issue again in a way that it has not been in probably a couple of decades. Yeah, in, in Brazil, this is actually a very hot topic right now in a bad way, because politically we are in a... We are actually leaving racism in a very sensible way. Uh, a few weeks ago, you might have heard it, uh, a councilwoman from Rio de Janeiro was executed because she was about to denounce the involvement of women and politicians with uh, the situation in favelas, the genocide that we constantly deal with in Rio de Janeiro, that we all know that happened, but nobody was actually denouncing it. And she was the main voice in this denunciation. Uh, her name is uh, Marielle Franco, and I think it's because you're, you're talking about race and museums, we cannot n not mention this event in our recent history. And right now, it's actually started a process of social movements and social engagements, engagement that is political, but that also has race in its center. So uh, I, th I think we should call attention to that because it's not very, it's not really something that is past in our history. It's very present and it should be present in our museums. Yes, last week we actually did an interview with one of the ICOM US members and she was talking about her involvement with community museums in Brazil. And uh, we connected uh, Marielle Franco with the Museu da Maré. So yeah, yeah, she was actually from Maré. Yes. Would you be able to talk a little bit about the community museums in Brazil, especially Museu do Maré? Yes, of course. Uh, we have actually very interesting practices in community museums and social museums in Brazil. Uh, they are not new. It's very important to know that since the 70s, we have experiences of memorial projects and museo museological projects in favelas. 
uh, because favelas has have been since since the beginning of the reformulation of the city in the beginning of this the past century a big reality a, a big urban and social reality for Rio de Janeiro so these favelas uh, have used the museum and the memorial approach to actually speak uh, about their own culture and in the 70s for example we had a project of a professor in a teacher actually a teacher of literacy uh, called Lija Segala who is today a very famous anthropologist who developed a project of Varal de Lembranças which is a memory space for people to uh, engage their own personal and individual memories of the favela at Rocinha which is the biggest favela in Latin America recognized as as such until today and this in this project she worked with the different times of the favela the different tempos tempos de memoria times of memory that are completely different from the times of the hegemonic parts of the city, completely different from the official times of the state, completely different from the times of history. They are the times of the history that is not being told. And so she started uh, working with this practice in the favela, and this became actually a reference for other experiences such as Maré, uh, which is an experience that began being discussed probably during the 90s but actually happened in the years 2000 with the participation of some museologists but mainly being directed uh, and oriented towards the people in the community of course when we say the people in the community we are talking about the diversity of actors who don't necessarily agree in how the memory is going to be represented so there are several processes of negotiations of memory and this is something that we study in, a, in an experimental methodology to understand this kind of uh, museums but Maré which is also a very important community in Rio de Janeiro a poor community uh, a community that is marked by several struggles uh, to survive these are spaces of resistance and these museums are museums of resistance I mean in the case of Maré this is a museum that was created uh, as a temporary experience as an experimental experience and it lasted more than 10 years now uh, as the way it is of course there are practices that uh, used to exist even before the museum was created and we can see it as uh, experimental processes museological process even though there was not a museum there before but it means that it is, it is a place of great cultural uh, production and great cultural things that that are happening in our city in our very neighborhood but we don't really pay attention to them because they are not uh, visual to everybody because the social inequalities in Rio de Janeiro don't allow these experiences to be actually talked about to be actually recognized and so and and the idea of the stigma the idea of ghetto is bigger than the idea that the ghetto has actually a very diverse cultural background. And with community museums, 
uh, as such with museums of favela, which is a category that we are constantly using in Rio de Janeiro, we have uh, these experiences becoming more visual, more uh, known towards the world, not only in Brazil, but people come from all over the world to know and to understand these experiences and to see how the story of, of the favelas are being told by their own communities. So. It's a very interesting experience that has originated, of course, several other experiences in favelas and in the periphery of the city. And, and I think that probably fits a little bit with your theme about experimental museums, since they're trying out different tactics in different places, using different resources, different infrastructure. I think all of that stuff probably plays into what you're doing. Yeah, we, we actually use this idea of experimental museology because some of these experiences are not recognized and not, not recognized by the state and they are constantly then experiencing new methods that the official experiences cannot uh, try. Uh, today, Museu da Marea is actually uh, recognized uh, experience, but it, it has been, it has struggled to actually stay in the same place and to actually guaranteeing the space that thing we're talking about, physical space, it's not something that is uh, actually granted for these experiences, but Mare is a more recognized uh, and, and somehow institutionalized experience. We have other experiences such as Museu das Remoções, which is Museum of Removals, that is a very recent project that is not recognized at all and it's constantly struggling to actually resist in the space where it is where it is created, where the community lies, because in the end these museums deal with the survival of the communities, not just with the cultural transmission, but the, 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 the economic and the social survival of these communities. All right, Bruno, well that sounds great. Now do you have anything that you would like to recommend to us today? Yeah, well, right now I think there are very interesting projects happening. Uh, for those who come to Rio de Janeiro, I highly recommend to look at the non-official museums, uh, such as the one I was mentioning before, Museum of Removals, Museu das Remoções, which was created in 2016. And for me, it's an important point of the city right now in terms of museology project and for those who are interested in, in Rio de Janeiro and museology this is a very interesting experience it was created actually two years ago in 2016 and it's the result of a long process of removals in certain areas of the city of Rio de Janeiro so it will allow the visitor to actually understand a perspective over the city that is not told in official museums in historical museums in Rio so it is the work of a poor community where there was, since the 1970s, a strong association of local inhabitants of a specific land that had no value in the past, but acquired value with time. But this community, they actually legally acquired the right to be, to live and to exist in that specific small piece of land and to build their homes. However, in 2014, with the replanning of the city for the Olympic Games of 2016, these people started suffering uh, from several forms of harassment from the local government in order to leave their land where the major Eduardo Paes wanted to build the facilities for the games. 
So since then, it was a long process of struggle. Some of the houses were violently destroyed and some people were actually removed. But some of them remained. They resisted somehow. And those who remained have created the museum, Museu das Remoções, built from the rest of the constructions and from the memory of the pain in the territory. It is a very sad story indeed, but it is the recent history of our city that reflects our most deep inequalities. So recently, I've started a work of developing workshops and shared activities in order to organize this museum and to make it thrive. Of course, there are different kinds of initiatives from specialists and from different universities in Rio already supporting this experience because, of course, this experience has no support from the local government. And more than ever in Brazil, this kind of experiences need visibility. So museology has a social role now more clear than ever. And our laboratory is engaged in training our students to take part in the professional activities they had not envisioned when they first started in the course. And this is a statement of how museology is constantly changing because the field of museums is constantly changing. So we, we have to train polyvalent uh, professionals to, to work in these institutions. That sounds really interesting. I've always wanted to visit Rio de Janeiro, and if I can get down there, I will look you up so you can show me these places. They sound yes. really amazing. Of course, Rob, it's going to be a pleasure. Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I, 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 like I said, I've always wanted to go there. I, I, someday, yeah. <laughs> someday but, I will be there. We have very nice museums, if you yes. look from a different point of view. <laughs> yes, that'd be great. All right, Susie, do you have anything to share with us today? Yes, I have two publications that I want to share that Bruno is the editor and also an author. And the first one is the History of Museology Project, which is online right now. Um, he's been working on this since last year, is it, Bruno? Yeah, it's actually it's actually a blog and it's going to become this year it's going to become a publication with several contributions and and collaboration of different icophone authors. Susie is one of them. The blog is Historia da Museologia dot blog. It's the history of museology in Portuguese dot blog, and you can find it. I think the link is also in the Icophone page, and it's a work. It's a collective, collaborative work involving students and professionals. Then the second publication I'd like to recommend is what Bruno produced um, as a part of the ICOM General Conference in Rio de Janeiro in 2013 called Stransky a Bridge Bruno, and it's dedicated to Subnek Stransky. Yeah, thank you very much for recommending this publication, Susie. We, are, we actually have one other project that was created in 2014 that is called the History of Museology. This project is a joint project between ICOFOM and UniRio. And I'm very proud because we have several publications now. We have this publication you mentioned about Stransky, which was the first time uh, Stransky fundamental text from 1963 
1995 was translated to English, Portuguese, and Spanish because it only existed in Czech. So it's it, it's also a way that we have to actually write the history of museology and show the the blanks that have never been translated or written or published before. So this is for me this is a very special project, and we are with the blog. We are launching several pages from authors among the ones that you have mentioned. This year, we are going to publish a page on Peter Vermensch and another on Ivo Morevich, which you helped to, to write. And also, the next page, I think, it's going to be on Alpha Omar Conare, which is an African author who was a, an ICOFON member. And so it, it is a very exciting project, and I'm, I'm glad that it, it has, like, several publications today. I am going to... Well, I'm actually... This is not really a recommendation. It's just more of a news event. Your The discussion that we had earlier about race in muse, museums in Brazil got me thinking about something that's happening here in the U.S. at the moment. The Brooklyn Museum in... Um, well, Brooklyn, <laughs> hired yeah. a hired a couple of new curators, and one of the curators yeah. is going to be overseeing the African art collection at the Brooklyn Museum, and that new curator was white that they chose, and so this oh. is creating a bit of a a, a debate, uh, I guess yeah. we can say, among yeah. museum folks, but also among the general public about whether you know, a white curator can realistically or should be in charge of an African art collection. And there's, so there's been a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of people saying, well, she is completely qualified and she is, I mean, she's got the academic credentials. She's probably going to be just fine at it. But there are others who say that, well, yes, but there is still kind of an, at the very, at the very least, there's an image problem about having a white curator for an African art display or collection. And being an academic, I tend to fall on the side that, well, you know, she does have the qualifications and she probably is going to do really interesting things. But I do see the other side of it also. And I don't necessarily know yes. which which is the right answer, <laughs> but it is an interesting yeah. debate. The, the woman who was chosen to be the curator for the African art, her advisor, their PhD advisor, is uh, was black and she wrote a letter in it was kind of an open letter that was published on online in support of her selection of the of this woman's selection as curator uh saying that we need to focus more on qualifications than on skin color because you know if we're looking for true racial equality then we need to disregard skin color regardless of the position they're going to be in so it's an interesting debate i will post a link to the huffington post article that kind of summarizes both sides of it in the episode notes for this uh, episode nice very nice suggestion rob i think it's a very interesting topic and probably there is no right answer as you put it because museums deal with representation and I agree that the representation in that case is complicated and polemical but of course if she's qualified we shouldn't be I don't know it's 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 a hot topic for exactly sure. it's a another, it's a very difficult topic another element that we can incorporate in this entire debate is the representation within the entire museum um, not so much on that certain position but how much exactly. equality within the museum. And I think they should look at it from a very comprehensive view instead of just one position. I think that um, I don't have the right answer as well, but I think overall in the museum profession, that is something we need to really think about is the overall employee status in terms of 
representation. That's a good point too, and actually that they do mention that in the article. Uh, I'm not finding it at the moment, but I believe they said that the overall uh, employment of African Americans at the museum is somewhere around 42%. So they actually have a fairly high proportion of employees of uh, that are African American. It's obviously much higher at this museum than across museums nationwide, which is something like 4% of all museum professionals employed are African-American, but this particular one does have a much higher than usual percentage. Again, that doesn't necessarily give us a right answer here, but it is an interesting point to bring up. Yeah, definitely. All right, great. Well, it was great having you with us today, Bruno. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you, Rob. And thank you all for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments on this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at snhuhistory at gmail.com. For Susie Chung and Bruno Brulon Suarez, I am Rob Denning. In the immortal words of Dan TDM, who is probably my eight-year-old son's favorite person in the world, goodbye! Yes, I um, asked, I told him to prepare. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Susie is our taskmaster here, so she she gets everyone ready for everything. I hope I'm ready, but Susie did a good good work, definitely. <laughs>